It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Wednesday, November 2nd. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. State Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett recently visited various healthcare organizations on a listening tour of the North Country. She advises New Yorkers to get vaccinated against COVID and the flu. We know that more people are getting infected who aren't getting very sick. Um, But if we have a situation where people are getting infected and very sick, that would be very frightening. Voters in New York will decide next week whether the state should spend $4.2 billion on an environmental bond act. Environmentalists say it's an important investment in New York's future. It's a lot more expensive to go backwards and fix a problem than it is to create the resilience up front. Also, North Country ski resorts are prepping for the coming season of snow. And with Thanksgiving just a few weeks away, Chef Curtis Hem says now is the time to start planning the big meal, including the side dishes. He shares a couple of favorites. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Amy L. Smith, attorney at law in Lake Placid, advising Adirondack land and camp owners as they plan for the next generation of stewardship, 518-523-4580. And by St. Joseph's Addiction Treatment and Recovery Centers, celebrating 50 years of healing individuals, reuniting families, and strengthening communities. stjoestreatment.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. When you cast your ballot in this year's midterm election, remember to flip it over. On the back, you'll see Proposition 1, which asks New Yorkers whether the state should borrow $4.2 billion for environmental projects. If approved, that money would be spent in the coming decades on reducing flood risks, mitigating the effects of climate change, and preserving land around the state. Emily Russell reports. New York State is definitely not immune to climate change. Extreme weather events like Hurricanes Sandy and Irene have pummeled the state in the last few decades. Temperatures are rising. But Peter Bauer says New York has the chance to become a leader and even a haven in the face of climate change. People are going to look at upstate New York with all of these trees, with all of this water, with this pastoral landscape, with the Adirondack and Catskill Park and the Hudson Valley, and they're going to be like, my God, upstate New York is a paradise on earth. Bauer is the executive director of Protect the Adirondacks, a green group in the park. Like others, including the Nature Conservancy and Environmental Advocates of New York, Bauer's group is urging New Yorkers to vote yes on Proposition 1 to approve the $4.2 billion Environmental Bond Act. 
If it passes, the money will be doled out to communities across the state, a billion and a half to build green infrastructure and things like cooling centers. Another billion would be used to restore waterways and reduce flood risks. There's $650 million for water infrastructure projects and another $650 million for land preservation, which Peter Bauer says is critical. Every year, the developed parts of New York State gets bigger and bigger. The amount of land that's under asphalt grows year after year. So, you know, protecting land is really doing a favor for future generations. But not everyone feels that way. Brian Wells is the supervisor of Hamilton County. He's also the town supervisor of Indian Lake. He says Adirondack towns like his struggle to grow and prosper because of how much surrounding land the state already owns. Think about Indian Lake as a pie chart, Wells says. Every time the state buys something, it increases the forest preserve or somebody donates it or it's endowed or it's purchased by a land trust. It just makes that pie that much smaller and that much harder for us. Wells says the state should focus on managing the land it already owns, like building and maintaining trails and hiring more forest rangers. While he is grateful for the millions in state funding his and other Adirondack towns get for things like new wastewater treatment plants, Wells thinks adding $4.2 billion to the state's debt doesn't make financial sense. Do you plan to vote for the Environmental Bond Act? To be honest, no. I'll be voting no. Another person who has expressed concern about the Bond Act is Dan Steck. He's a Republican state senator who represents a big portion of the Adirondacks. Here he is in a recent debate with his Democratic challenger, Gene Lapper. I have my doubts whether or not it's going to make a difference um, or if it's just going to check some boxes for people to feel good about saying they support the environment. I don't think it's going to be efficiently used and I'm I'm afraid it's going to get um, wasted or squandered. But advocates say there will be plenty of oversight, especially if the money is used to match federal funding for projects. Plus, they say it's better to build up resilient infrastructure now than after a major storm. It's a lot more expensive to go backwards and fix a problem than it is to create the resilience up front. That's Kelly Tucker. She's the executive director of the Osable River Association, which repairs erosion and restores rivers, lakes, and streams in the Adirondacks. Tucker says there's a lot in the Bond Act she likes, including the fact that 35% of the money must benefit disadvantaged communities around the state. That means funding projects in poorer communities, places facing particular threats like pollution and storm surges. Tucker is hopeful that New Yorkers will vote to invest in green energy, more public lands, and more resilient communities. But she says the details of how that money is delivered really matter. The question is, how is it going to be implemented? If it's passed, how is that money going to come to small communities, to marginalized communities? Is that money going to be easy to use or is it going to be hard to use? Tucker says those are critical pieces of the puzzle. But first, New Yorkers need to decide whether or not they support the $4.2 billion Environmental Bond Act. So remember, when you go to vote, don't forget to flip over your ballot. Emily Russell, North Country Public Radio. Voter- 
Voters have heard a lot about the two candidates running for New York governor, Democrat Kathy Hochul, who's seeking a full term in office, and Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin. But the running mates have not received as much attention. Karen DeWitt takes a closer look at Democrat and former congressional representative Antonio Delgado and former police captain Allison Esposito, who's running on the Republican ticket. In New York, candidates for lieutenant governor do not run separately in the general election. They come as part of a ticket with the candidate in their party who's running for governor. But as the potential number two elected official in the state and first in line to succession as governor, it's worth paying attention to them. In the past 14 years, two lieutenant governors have suddenly found themselves taking over the state's top executive post when the past two elected governors resigned in disgrace. David Patterson replaced former Governor Elliot Spitzer, who exited in a prostitution scandal. And Governor Kathy Hochul, just over a year ago, was the state's lieutenant governor until Andrew Cuomo resigned over multiple scandals in August of 2021. My selection for the new lieutenant governor of the state of New York, Congressman Antonio Delgado. Antonio Delgado, who left his seat in Congress representing a district in the Hudson Valley to become lieutenant governor, was not Hochul's first choice. Hochul, shortly after becoming governor last year, chose state senator Brian Benjamin for the number two post. But Benjamin was forced to resign just seven months later after he was indicted by federal prosecutors and accused of participating in a bribery scandal involving campaign donations. It's just an honor to be able to stand here with you and do this work together. Delgado, who is of African-American and Cape Verdean descent, grew up in Schenectady. He attended Oxford University on a Rhodes Scholarship and graduated from Harvard Law School. He then lived in New York City for a time before running successfully for the congressional seat. He's married with two twin eight-year-old sons. Delgado agrees with Hochul that abortion rights need to be protected in New York after the recent U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade. Here he is speaking at a rally at the state capitol organized by Planned Parenthood in May, shortly after the leaked draft Supreme Court opinion that led to the overturning of Roe in June. There's something about the time that we're living in right now where it feels like all of the things that people before us have sacrificed and shed blood and marched and protested for is being relitigated. He also backs gun control measures, including the state's recently approved law regulating the carrying of concealed weapons, as well as stronger red flag laws to help prevent mass shootings and other gun violence. Your next Lieutenant Governor, Allison Esposito. Allison Esposito, a 25-year veteran of the New York Police Department, is Republican Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin's running mate. She's a graduate of the City University of New York's John Jay College of Criminal Justice, as well as the FBI National Academy. Esposito was the commander of a precinct in Brooklyn, as well as a deputy inspector, before retiring in July to campaign full-time. Her priority issue is fighting the violent crime spike that began during the pandemic. She wants to repeal the state's 2019 criminal justice reforms, including an end to most forms of cash bail. She says she saw the negative results of that law firsthand. My officers going out every day interacting with some of the most violent criminals, repeat offenders, arresting individuals with loaded illegal firearms on their waistband, sometimes two, three, and four times, same criminals. And those perpetrators were back in the precinct collecting their property to go home 
before my officers were even done processing the arrest. Esposito says Republicans need to be elected to repeal those laws. And she backs Zeldin's proposal to declare a crime state of emergency on his first day as governor and temporarily suspend the bail reform and other criminal justice laws. If elected, Esposito would be the first openly gay lieutenant governor in New York. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. It's 12 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, Chef Curtis Hem shares two side dish recipes for your Thanksgiving meal and for the day after. That conversation coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by the Adirondack Harper, Martha Gallagher. Her music and that of other regional musicians can be found on our website. Check out our underscore project at ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by Fort de la Presentacion, home of the Abbey PK walking trail open seven days a week sunrise to sunset fort1749.org and by North Country Children's Museum Potsdam, New York with hands-on and minds-on exhibits and programs for children 12 and under and their families open Wednesday to Sunday 10 to 5 northcountrychildrensmuseum.org Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett recently visited various health care organizations on a listening tour of the North Country. As winter approaches, Bassett says it's important to get vaccinated against COVID-19 and the flu. The main protection that we're asking people to please attend to is wear a mask when you feel it's appropriate for you. Get all of your shots. We're not doing nearly well enough at that. Bassett caught up with Champlain Valley reporter Kara Chapman about the multiple viruses the state's been dealing with, starting with newer COVID variants. Uh, So the original Omicron variant has faded, then we were replaced with BA4 and 5. You may have heard it called 4 and 5. Now there's a BF7 and the newest kids on the block are BQ1 and 1.1 and and there's some others. Uh, They all seem to be very immune evasive, which means that they infect people. What our vaccines are doing for us now is protecting against serious illness, hospitalizations and so on. We have a wonderful lab in New York State, the Wadsworth Labs, and we've identified these variants there. Uh, They've been identified across the state. They're here. Um, And we expect that they're going to increase in prevalence. Please get your shots. (laughs) That's my message. And during the 
pandemic, we have seen, you know, lower than normal flu numbers because people were masking, or at least we did for a time. Um, So, but what are you anticipating this winter when it comes to the flu? Well, we already have widespread flu in our state, uh, meaning that we are identifying flu in in a large number of counties. Uh, So we, you know, are concerned that we may be headed for a difficult flu season. We often look to the southern hemisphere, mainly Australia, and they're reporting that they've had a difficult flu season. Uh, So we want people to get that flu shot. Uh, the White House advisor on, on COVID, Ashish Jha, has said there's a reason that we have two arms. One's for your flu shot, the other's for your COVID booster. And, you know, we had pretty big scares this year with the monkeypox virus and also the polio virus. So is that something people should still be worried about? Well, we have plenty of vaccine uh, for monkeypox, and we really want anybody who identifies uh, a personal risk for getting monkeypox to get vaccinated. We are not seeing many cases these days uh, in the whole state outside of New York City. We have just short of 350 individuals diagnosed, and almost all of those individuals are in the greater metropolitan area of New York and Long Island or Westchester. Uh, But we do know that it's there. And uh, that, you know, as the weather gets warmer again in the springtime, we may see another surge of infections. Please get vaccinated. In the third week of July, uh, a person with paralytic disease, polio, was diagnosed in, in Rockland County, a young unvaccinated adult. And we looked at our wastewater, a polite word for sewage, and identified that from May, we've found in, in multiple settings evidence of polio virus. We never thought we'd see polio uh, causing paralytic disease in our state, but we have. And now we really have to address the vaccination of children on time, as well as any adult who's not sure of their vaccination status. We've obviously just run through a whole slew of, you know, health crises of varying sizes. But is there anything in particular that like keeps you up at night that worries you the most as we're heading into, you know, the colder months? So far, uh, the COVID uh, virus has been mutating in a way that evades our immune system, becomes more and more transmissible, but it hasn't gotten more severe. Uh, But that doesn't mean that won't happen. And if that happened... It would be very frightening indeed. Uh, So uh, we know that more people are getting infected who aren't getting very sick. Um, But if we have a situation where people are getting infected and very sick, that would be very frightening. I also worry about the neglect of other common diseases that are our leading causes of death. Health departments, you know, have attended our smoking rates. I'm in the North Country right now. It has smoking rates at um, at 20% of the adult population. That's what it was in New York City 20 years ago. Uh, And uh, it's far too high. So we still have old-fashioned public health issues. And, of course, we have the opioid epidemic. So there's plenty to keep me awake at night. That was State Health Commissioner Dr. Mary T. Bassett speaking with Champlain Valley reporter Kara Chapman. The 
Ogdensburg city manager is urging the city council to eliminate the police department in order to avoid major tax hikes for residents. According to WWNY-TV, city manager Stephen Jelly is submitting the 2023 proposed budget to the council this week. This comes as Jelly is planning to leave the position of city manager on Friday. Ogdensburg is facing a 26.5% drop in sales tax revenue. Jelly says eliminating the police department would be the most most efficient way to keep property taxes steady. He offered them a second option, however. Under that plan, every city service would experience major cuts. Jelly says if councillors move forward with that plan, quote, the prospect of revival for the city will be greatly diminished. The total budget would be worth about $12 million. An investigation is underway after a deputy sheriff in the Finger Lakes hit an Amish buggy with his patrol car and injured five people. It's a reminder of the hazard of sharing the road with Amish buggies here in the North Country, especially as the days are getting shorter. The Chautauqua County deputy sheriff rear-ended the buggy Sunday night on an unlit road where the speed limit was 55 miles per hour. The five Amish passengers were hospitalized. Their horse had to be put down. The deputy sheriff wasn't injured. Amish buggies can be very difficult to see. Some use reflective triangles. Others hang lanterns in the front of their buggies. St. Lawrence County Sheriff Brooks Bigwarf encourages drivers to use all their defensive driving habits this time of year. Motorists should drive slower and pass cautiously. One of the top holiday attractions in New York City will be coming from the North Country. A family in Glens Falls has donated its 82-foot spruce tree to be this year's Rockefeller Christmas tree. According to the Rockefeller Center, the tree is on the Leibowitz's family property in Queensbury. It'll be cut down in the next few days and driven to New York City. The tree will be covered in more than 50,000 LED lights and lit in a ceremony on November 30th. A used bookstore in Washington County has been placed on the state's historic business preservation registry. Owl Pen Books has been run out of a converted chicken barn outside of Greenwich for 62 years. A few of the books are sold from an old hog pen. According to the Glens Falls Post-Star newspaper, the historic registry celebrates businesses that define a community. The new owners of Owl Pen Books bought the shop in February. Sidney Nichols and Eric Cuffs are the third owners after Edie Brown and Hank Howard and founder Barbara Propst. And North Country Ski Resorts are prepping for the upcoming season. Woods Valley Ski Area south of Boonville is adding new snowmaking equipment. Dry Hill in Watertown is hosting a snowboard and ski swap on Saturday and Sunday. And at Titus Mountain outside of Malone. Okay. You got tension? Medical responders from Titus and Beartown Ski Resort in Plattsburgh are getting up to speed. Over the weekend, they practiced lowering people from high up on ski lifts in case one shuts down this season and needs to be evacuated. So now you just want to scoot yourself off. Careful not to hit the, the chair. There you go. Elsewhere, Whiteface Mountain is hosting a job fair this evening to hire lift attendants, snowmakers, and ski instructors for the winter. Titus's job fair is tomorrow, and Gore Mountains is on Saturday.
You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, a conversation about a really ugly root vegetable that makes for a great Thanksgiving salad. After that on Bird Note, how juvenile horned owls cut the cord and learn to feed themselves. That's just ahead at 842, but first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Mm, not sure about your backyard right now, but it's, we've got fog here in Canton. Some pretty thick areas of fog as well, and the weather's Services partly cloudy skies today, highs upper 50s, low 60s, light winds out of the west-northwest, lows around 40 tonight, milder tomorrow, uh, partly to mostly sunny, highs near 60 on Thursday, highs in the low 60s Friday, maybe highs near 70 on Saturday, right now 44 degrees in Canton. It's November, and with Thanksgiving just a few weeks away, Chef Curtis Hem says now is the time to start planning the big meal, including the side dishes. Chef Curtis lives in the Champlain Valley and owns the Carriage House Cooking School in Peru, New York, and is the executive chef at the View Restaurant at the Mirror Lake Inn Resort and Spa in Lake Placid. And he joins us every month with ideas for eating local and with the seasons. Thanksgiving is Chef Curtis's favorite holiday but he says it's not just about the turkey he shares two side dish recipes for thanksgiving week refrigerator pickles b&b pickles and a celeriac salad thanksgiving is great it's the turkey people think about the mashed potatoes and the sweet potatoes and all this stuff for me it's the condiments it's the it's the little things that get added to that center of the plate item that I focus on. It's it's where I get the most enjoyment, you know, in particular pickles and uh, kind of crudite platters and things like that. And I also wanted to throw in something very local, which is celeriac. And I think a lot of people look at this thing and they have no idea what to do with it. And this is a really delicious recipe with very easy preparation. And I figured, why not? There's a lot of celeriac in the farmer's markets. I know North Point Community Farm has a lot of it. We're using it here at the Muir Lake Inn. Um, we use it as kind of a thickener for our mushroom potage soup. And it's just a really good vegetable to have around. And as you say in the description, never judge a book by its cover, or in this case, never judge a root vegetable by its skin. Oh, it's ugly. There's no doubt. <laughs> it's an ugly vegetable. Why do you like it? Why is it, is it the, the, you know, that you're not, you're not having to parboil or cook anything with this recipe. It's pretty much great. The celeriac and add some flavors like the flavor of it something i discovered in france when i lived there and um it's just kind of carried with me ever since when you're able to find it and it's fresh and it's firm you give it a good peel wash it off because it has some really fine roots that look like hair kind of it's kind of reminds me of horseradish a little bit in that sense so you peel it off and you slice it you can chop it now I, found, I sound like the slap chop commercial, but you could do anything you want to this. You could, you know, run it in the food processor and just chop it up like you would if you were ricing cauliflower, cut it into planks and then cut those into sticks or you could dice it at that point in time. I like the flavor. I like the texture. I like how it has a subtle, softer personality from what it looks like. So it's a contrast in flavor and appearance. And it takes to both vinaigrettes and this one I have a mayonnaise-based dressing. Mm-hmm. It goes very well with, you know, kind of like a cream and a mustard and a little, little bit of acid and lemon juice or maybe a white balsamic or something like that. I just like, yeah, I guess I, I like the texture more than anything. That's why you are adding things like the mayo and the Dijon mustard and the chive 
and the lemon juice is you kind of starting with a, a blank slate in a way? Yeah, it, yeah, it's a it's a canvas basically. Yeah. And now what I painted here is something that's a little bit creamy, a little bit spicy from the mustard, a little bit acidic from the lemon juice, and then balanced with the cider vinegar, salt, pepper. You know, that kind of brings all those things together. The vinegar does, and it softens it. The acid will soften up the celeriac. You know, you let it sit for 20, 30 minutes, and it 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 softens it up. It becomes very chewable and nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I sent you a couple of pictures. So you see it in the raw form, and then you see it on the plate, and you're just you really have a hard time looking at the end product and seeing it come from the beginning. I guess you know the ugly duckling, you know, yeah. that turned into a beautiful swan. Maybe celeriac is a beautiful swan. I love that analogy. That is so cool. Let's uh, let's move to the B and B pickles. Are we talking bread and butter pickles? Bread and butter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Something acidic and sweet. You know, it's got some mustard seed in it. Um, I love these. I, I like the sweetness and the acidity because it cuts through the the turkey. Turkey can be a very strong meat. It can have a strong odor, huh. particularly if it's a local or wild turkey. If someone's out hunting and they had luck this year and they're going to use a wild turkey, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, these go very well. But the acidity, the pickle in and of itself, cuts through the richness of the meal. Um, that's why they're added to hamburgers. That's why we use them in all sorts of different preparations. Um, it just kind of cuts to the richness of it. And it's a great contrast. You know, if you follow this recipe through and through, um, in particular, the salting and the draining of that, um, they are just absolutely wonderful. They still have a crunch to them. Um, and the thicker you slice your cucumber, the more crunch you're going to have. And it's really simple. You have most of the stuff around. Maybe you don't have mustard seed, but you could pick up pickling spice or something like that. Yeah, Celery seed, you can buy most of like a Nori's or a food co-op um, in your area. Would you know? I know there's a North Country food co-op in Plattsburgh, and they have celery seeds. And I would almost always tend to buy my spices from a co-op or a natural food store because I feel they're going to move through their spices faster than, say, one of those really expensive brands at a grocery store that have been sitting there for a long time. Yeah. Why the two different vinegars, the white and the apple, apple cider? Different flavor profiles. Uh-huh. So I think the white vinegar has a punch to it that the apple cider doesn't. Apple cider is a little bit more mild vinegar and it has a sweeter profile. So the, the other nice thing about this is you can essentially make these a day or two ahead of time. Yeah, and they'll last, you know, they'll last for up to a month in your refrigerator. Yeah. They soften up over time a little bit yeah. more. So if you're if you're like me and you tend to slice them really thin, then maybe you get two weeks out of them. But if you slice them a little bit thicker, and if you want to go like traditional and get a cream 